Hey everyone, welcome to Business Access by TD Image. My name is Tiago D'Souza and today we're talking to Torsten Jacoby. Torsten, how are you? Hey, I'm very good. How are you, Tiago? I'm doing very well. I, I'm excited to talk to you, especially when I went to your LinkedIn uh, uh, profile, you said Mighty Travels. Where'd you get that from? That's awesome. The name? Yeah, uh, I, come up, I came up with that. <laughs> Um, but I wasn't religious at the time. I think I'm way more religious now. So the Almighty definitely inspired me a little bit before I became more religious. That's awesome. That is so awesome. So tell us a little bit about your background and what brings the passion into what you do. Yeah, you know, I've, I've been a serial entrepreneur my whole life. I Actually, I was just talking to my children the other day. I've never had a regular job. So I either worked for myself uh, or worked for a company I created. And uh, I grew up in Germany and started my first business there in middle school. And uh, since then, I basically had tons and tons of ideas. I've always been a very curious person and applied that to different business models, different ideas. Um, did this in three different continents, started businesses in Germany, uh, different parts of Europe, then went over to Asia, to India and to Singapore, and uh, spent the last 15 years here in the U.S., started a bunch of businesses. And uh, some of them are still out there doing well. Some um, didn't go anywhere or bankrupt. Nobody even remembers them. Um, one of them almost went IPO. So I feel I've seen um, a lot of different angles to how you can start a business, how you can work with different businesses. Um, and I'm still have that curiosity, curiosity after 20 years of doing this. That's a looking at your profile and, and kind of following you a little bit, you know, that's one of the things that really caught on is that you, you show a hunger and you show a passion and you also show what I call the go for attitude. That means that if, if you see an opportunity, you go for it. There's no hesitation. Yeah, I'd like to think so, too. You know, it's finding the right um, opportunity as an entrepreneur and then anticipating consumer or business demand is a tricky business, as you probably know very well. Uh, sometimes you strike gold. Sometimes you, you feel pretty much out there in the cold for a long time, and then the next time um, you just give up because it just seems too hard. So it, finding that... that um, the right middle ground between how much should you invest in an idea and um, how much feedback do you need, how much positive feedback is something that I'm still trying to curate. Um, I'm trying to make myself more of an investor now. And, uh, you know, I've, I've definitely struggled with this. Um, at what point should you say, okay, this is a great idea, but it will never work, or this is a great idea, it's just the time maybe has not come yet. You definitely have to be before the wave hits, but how long might that be? And will you still be alive? And will you have money by the time? So um, it is, it is, there's not a lot of rules out there. Um, and you only see and hear the stories from the more successful startups later on. It's very difficult to see what is actually this black hole of startups that never did go anywhere. That's very true. And uh, if a lot of people don't understand the black hole of startups, it's actually a really big hole. But the, the the thing too, it I think one of the biggest difference uh from the people that succeed is like you said, it's really, really understanding what you're what you're getting yourself into. 
and how to develop it. And I love, I love, love, love doing research and I love learning when I go into a project or, or when I go into something uh, and, and investing what I need to just mentally to make sure that it's a success, which that's also something that people, that there's 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 a difference between those that have been in that black hole and those who have make, made it. Let me ask yeah, you. Yeah, I think that. Go ahead. Yeah, just to, to, to add on this, I think, and I keep telling this to my kids, you, you've got to develop um, an enjoyment for the journey. So you, you will, it's impossible to say if, the startup or whatever you're doing in life, if you, you're taking on a new job, if, you, if you're studying for a new degree, it's impossible to say if this will actually work out, but it's very likely that while you're in the process of doing this, you A, might enjoy it, because if you enjoy learning, if you enjoy um, the specific topic you're in, and B, um, the skills that you might pick up in during that time, they might definitely come in handy at some other time. Um, probably not the one that you anticipated, but usually it's uh, at a later stage. And I, I hear this question quite a bit. Um, people keep asking me, so what are you running from? Because you, you live in different places. And uh, when I go back home uh, to a little town in Germany where I grew up, and people are like, so why are you running so far? And I'm like, I'm actually not running away. I'm actually running towards something. I'm still trying to hone in what's the actual target. But uh, I've been to 127 different countries. and. Uh, I saw a lot of different places um, within those countries, and I still, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just like a kid in the candy store when, uh, when um, the world opened up again after coronavirus, and I could see there's a bunch of places that I've never traveled to that suddenly are again accessible. That is so cool. I, I think that is so true too. I, I can't tell you how many people that I that I've talked to that would say like they they would have this goal that they want to get to it, but then they find out that the journey has been their goal. The journey has been better and, and more satisfying than reaching that end goal because of what they experience and what they learn and how they develop themselves throughout it. Yeah, it's, you know, on the face of it, it might sound a bit like an excuse. You say, oh, you just, you, you, you didn't succeed. So you say, oh, you just uh, reflected back on the journey. But in the, in the end, you know, we're all going to die. We only have these 80, 85 years on this planet. Some of them are pretty much pre-programmed. So we don't get to decide about our childhood and uh, most of your early, early life. You don't have a lot of control right. over. So there's a very limited amount of um, years that you have. And you better find something that you enjoy because uh, there isn't much else. And um, even the billionaires have to die, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> I mean, I would, I, we all would love to live longer, but I just saw this article about anti-aging and maybe it's being resolved very soon. But uh, for now, um, you know, it might just be 100 years or 120 years. It's still not that much. Yeah, it's that's so true. Um, but the way I always look at it is, um, this is a great conversation, by the way. The, the way I always look at it is, like you said, you have a talk with your kids. And uh, I always look at it because one of the things that I've always invested into has been into the youth and younger people um, and with orphanages and people that are in my in kids that are in my industry to try to help them develop themselves and really think forward. But one of the greatest things that I've learned in life is that the, each person's life is an investment into another one. So t take that opportunity and make sure that you invest into the next generation because it's so vital, it's so important for us to uh, 
teach them to take it to the next level than where we've been. So, yeah, you you you're from Brazil, right? You, you grew up in Brazil. Yeah, I, I grew up in Brazil. I grew up my younger years in Brazil, but my teenage years I was here in the United States. Yeah, yeah, I, I find Brazil fascinating. Um, I, I've, I've been a couple of times and, you know, it's so, the economy is so bound by this enormous amount of red tape, all these rules that nobody understands and um, that, but everybody seems to think they're sacrosanct, they cannot be changed. And then on the other hand, you have some really incredible entrepreneurs who, who I don't know how they do it, but they navigate through it, um, these millions of rules. And uh, that was a very interesting um, climate. I always felt like Brazil is, is, have, having a lot of potential and probably people have been thinking this for 40, 50 years, but it somehow never really realizes its potential um, in terms of entrepreneurship, in terms of their economy. Yeah, it's 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 very controlled by big organizations. So that's why it's difficult for, or, for entrepreneurs. But I think if you find the right roads to take, you can get to where you want to go and that's in any place that has uh uh has that those uh rules and regulations and, and that are filled with those and, and and it's like you said it's, it's about keep moving forward and, and keep taking the next step let me ask you this question so of course you know every, a lot of businesses are going through many difficulties uh throughout this pandemic and we all wish that it was over by now but it's definitely not so we're we're learning that maybe a, a new normal is here uh and and we need to adapt and figure things out right now what have you done in the new environments uh and what are you doing right now that you feel is different than you've done before well i i I find this is definitely a very interesting phase and i was i was uh reading um Balaji Srinivasan, who has a couple of really excellent thoughts on what happened to the economy and this this disjunct between the real economy and the um, or the the old economy and the cloud economy and I felt if we wouldn't have had the cloud economy that we all predicted in 2000, but then it didn't happen for 10 years and we kind of thought, oh, it was never going to happen. And then suddenly now everyone seems to be only living in the cloud and thinking in the cloud. I I felt that we really had left behind this real economy. So when I think of infrastructure, when I think of restaurants, when I think of factories, um, when I think of places that that move things around, all of this the U.S. is not very competitive, um, hasn't been competitive for quite some time. And this hasn't started in 2000, but maybe in the in the 90s. Uh, maybe it goes back all the way to the 70s, you know, this big discussion about the stagnation of growth. Mm-hmm. What I felt is with the pandemic, the onset of the pandemic, if we wouldn't have had the cloud and this ability first to be very much aware of what's going on with this virus. Um, maybe that's beneficial, maybe it's not, but I feel the same virus 10 years ago, we would have completely ignored it. Nobody would have known about it and we would have, maybe that would have been for the worse, maybe it would have been for the better, but I think psychologically it would have been very different And I felt we went into the pandemic the way we did because of the information we had, but also because we had the alternative of the cloud economy. Right. And uh, I've been thinking, is of this whole shutting down what we do that greatly impacts the economy and obviously greatly impacts travel just for my main business 
is um, a big deal as travel is down 95% in many places, international travel. Um, domestic travel is doing much better as probably only down by about 40 to 50% uh, by now. But what I've been thinking is what if, with all these lockdowns, um, are we doing people a favor to put them out of business? All these um, entrepreneurs, doubts of entrepreneurs, um, hundreds of thousands probably across the years have lost um, their business. And we kind of, we, we say learn to code and go into the cloud. Or is this something that we're going to regret in 10 years from now? Because for, well, maybe with a little cost, but maybe not enough cost, as a lot of people say, did we destroy a whole economy basically for nothing? So I've been pondering with that a lot myself. My own personal answer is the cloud is definitely the future. And there's a ton more, as, as we all know, there's a ton more scalability. There's a lot more um, opportunity right now in terms of crypto. A lot of this is unproven and it might never actually pan out. But it seems, at least for me as an entrepreneur, the cloud is as interesting as ever. And the real economy, I've been hesitant the last five years to invest at all. I haven't done anything. and. I'm not sure if I should feel indicated of you all making a big mistake. I don't know what your impression is. It's it's a learning curve to me. It's um, because I'm a solutionist and I always think forward. And I I have to think about how do I solve a problem instead of being in the problem. So there, that's like a great topic you bring you bring up, which is the two economy and how do how does the old economy, the basically the physical economy, um, change or adapt to this new cloud environment, and how does it function to be successful in it? What does it do? And that's a big que- that's a big question that's in my head because I, to me, there's a lot of services that can't adapt to the cloud economy. But how do they create solutions? For example, restaurants. A lot of restaurants said, hey, we have to deliver. There's no other options. They're not coming in. We have to go out. And they figured out that solution. To me, that's that's, that's a cloud-like solution because they adapted from an old method into a new method. Um, so I guess... What I would say, but it's a very different market. It's a very different game they play because you know, in in the cloud world, it's usually winner takes it all. There's maybe a second winner, maybe a third winner, Mm -hmm. but generally, um, there is one winner takes it all. It's usually Google. Um, Sooner or later, um, they might not build it themselves, but they they buy it like YouTube, or they do the self-driving car and buy a lot of IP for it. Right. Um, Even Uber is too small to even compete in the self-driving car market, which is astonishing at the market cap of I don't know 100 billion, 200 billion, right. um, probably more now. Um, so I find this astonishing for restaurants. You know, we had 8,000 restaurants in San Francisco um, last year. And I don't know how many closed. I don't have good statistics. But I don't know how many will be permanently or temporarily closed. But I feel delivery, and that was a trend before, is you, you could just create a virtual restaurant. But um, the um, the, and that was already a big deal, like mm-hmm. the last two years, that you just basically start with the delivery services like Caviar and Uber Eats. And, um, but 
I think if if you if you take this all the way, because delivery and seating space was always you know limited, so you couldn't have one restaurant serving the whole city. Right. But I think now you can. Now you can have one Indian restaurant that's the best, um, rated by consumers. That's not just serving all of San Francisco, but it could serve the whole Bay Area with a really stringent delivery system. And that's a very different marketplace to be in as investors, right. as an entrepreneur, because suddenly it's become like the cloud it's it's maybe three or four that could more or less uh, at least you know the whole bay area of 50 million people who live here will be served by one single indian restaurant or by one burmese restaurant i think that's that's a huge at uh, that point to adapt to and uh, maybe it's a good one um you know yeah. because the restaurant industry and a lot of stuff in the in the real economy and the physical economy hasn't been competitive in the U.S. in a long time. When you look at hotel rates, when you look at roads, they're terrible compared to what you get in, in Asia. And it seems, or China, it seems so much more efficient. I think China has really figured out the physical economy, and we should learn as much as we can from them. I, I, I definitely agree. I think um, one of the issues that the United States has uh, had was is that it's there's a lot of there's a lot of traditional ways of doing things that doesn't fit, like you said, that doesn't fit the cloud, uh, the cloud method of today, the, the society of today. And America has been very hesitant in leaving some of those traditional formats uh, and coming into the new age and uh, into the new era. Uh, for example, it, it, as we talked about, you know, a lot of restaurants always had the ability to deliver, but majority of restaurants did not deliver. Uh, and why? I don't know. I think it's a great opportunity to expand uh, uh, their their market, expand uh, uh, who they can reach. But it took a virus. It yeah, took absolutely. this pan, pan, a pandemic it's a to change that. Opportunity. Yeah, I mean, all of COVID is a general opportunity. That's the first thing I said um, when it happened. Um, I was I was saying this is either going to turn out in a ginormous opportunity or it's going to be a big catastrophe. And um, the catastrophe for more is for me was always there's going to be more zombie companies. There's going to be more laziness. I call it American laziness because it's been working for so long mm -hmm. and the U.S. hasn't been challenged as much as other countries. Um, I'm pretty sure it will turn out fine, but the the amount of zombie companies that we drag around and then we give them loans and then give them another bailout is is understandably emotionally, but it's long-term um, a very risky play um, that will eventually um, probably create an even bigger shock and catastrophe before real opportunity arises and then things will become very competitive again. Um, I find that a lot of um, a lot of things have already changed. For instance, when you think about contactless payments, it was a pain to pay contactless just, I don't know, seven, eight months ago, and now wherever you go, and, and you know, it's been the standard anywhere in the world, wherever you go, suddenly it's the same in the US. It's been the standard to pay with. Yeah. So I think there's, there's a lot of changes in Americans. I, I believe strongly in American people that they can turn around as flexible as they are. But this challenge is new, and the investment in the cloud economy, and I think this is important to understand, we have those strange, um, I almost call it the cathedral of startups. Um, that's a term from Eric Weinstein that he uses for something else. But we have a very small number of startups, um, I'd say maybe 100 or less, that are um, backed by big VC companies, usually SoftBank and a 
second or third round. And outside of those, entrepreneurship, even in, in Silicon Valley, hasn't been that great. And uh, only inside those, this is where the money has been made, and this is where investors um, went in with a considerable amount of money. So the, the, the amount of opportunity um, to create a billion-dollar company, if you're not really interested in taking big VC money, like myself, and I think there's a ton of other people out there, um, this isn't as good as it used to be. Uh, probably maybe you can say it was a bubble 20 years ago, but bootstrapping a startup to um, I don't know, a billion dollars in market cap, um, it's probably harder than it used to be. Right. And, um, which is strange um, because the VCs have retreated quite a bit. Um, that's maybe a good thing. So it should have had, should have left more opportunities open to entrepreneurs who bootstrap their startups. And there are a good amount of success stories. I just feel there's been way less than there used to be. Yeah, that's that's very true. Uh, one, of the, I don't know if you would agree with this or not, but one of the reasons I think one of the issues that I feel like United States has had is uh, they they've created so much value in in money for a product. So there's such a higher cost here for a product than anywhere else. That now when technology is changing, the cost for ourselves to change over into the technology is so high that it's ignored. And people kind of stick with that bubble of being in the the traditional formats because to change into the new it's going to cost too much upfront, and they can't, they don't want to do that, or they hesitate, or they hold back, like you said. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the challenge hasn't been that big, and I felt this COVID, what, what, however dangerous the disease is, it depends on what we do with it and the challenges that it, that it gives or the, the opportunity that it gives us. I think we've wasted this a little bit, at least on a, on, a, on a grander scale. And obviously, this is not government policy, cannot create entrepreneurship. Um, believe me, that's what Germany and pretty much every other European country tried and it didn't work. Um, you you got to let it bubble up. And uh, that I'm not worried about, but it's uh, you. You got to have role models that scale into billion-dollar unicorns without raising. I don't know how much um, Uber raised, but I think it's been twenty billion dollars from SoftBank. It's been an incredible amount, mm -hmm. and that is not going to happen for the majority of startups. Um, and uh, I mean, there's no reason it should happen, but but I feel like there should be a big enough pool of independently financed angel finance startups. Mm -hmm that make it into the unicorn club. But that's the thing that was missing. And I can't really figure out why this happened. Um, and there's been talk, and there's obviously the talk of millennials not being able to find enough opportunity to, I don't know, sustain the optimism, let's put it this way. And uh, there's this big talk about the stagnation since the 1970s, um, the growth in many industries outside semiconductors, maybe internet, you can add that to it. And finance has been basically negative. And uh, the real income is also is the same since compared to 1970 in dollar terms, so not in, in nominal dollar amounts. Those are strange, very strange factors for a country that, you know, thinks of itself as the epitome of entrepreneurship. That's opportunity, right? Right, right. So exactly. I'm, I'm a big believer in the American dream. This doesn't um, I don't think it can it cannot be done, but I think we've lost. It's nobody really has the answer for this. We've lost something that we had in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and also in the 90s. Briefly, we've lost something that that 
pushed productivity so far higher by usually those entrepreneurial um, adventures that push productivity upwards. Right. That hasn't happened for 20 years, and that's that's a real risk. And I think people are not honest enough to talk about. They're like, oh, you're too negative. And I, I think I'm very positive on, on individual opportunities that are still out there. But as a whole, um, I think there's something going on. Yeah. No, I 100% agree with you. And I don't think that's anything negative. That's just an honesty to try to solve his, solve a problem. I do feel like to me, like I feel that when uh, early on, when things weren't so automated, it allowed us to develop things more to a detail to 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 a point where now we're not so as hands on with everything. So the development of the product isn't doesn't to me doesn't have that quality as it would as it if it was in the 60s in the 70s or in the 80s where things were really made and seen from the beginning all the way to the end sometimes by only one person where now it's touched by so many parties that you can have you you actually see more issues happening and a lot of times you don't see that that person who comes up with the product uh, actually be the end company. Uh, they it yeah. usually get sold, get sold, get sold. Then at a certain point, it gets uh, it gets bought by somebody that puts it out into the market. So I, I think a lot it's of the real issue, yeah, that's yeah. the real issue. Um, I, I, and I think this is why the tech giants um, are doing so well. That's part of it because they can control the whole, and it's not a very deep um, workflow, anyways. Um, they can control the whole workflow of product generation. Right. Um, they have everything in house. You know, they, they never buy anything. Apple Apple has maybe the exception to this, but they have tight control on their suppliers. Um, it's almost like an in-house factory. Um, everyone else, you, you know, you drive around Silicon Valley, they never buy anything. The most they ever buy is electricity and catering. Right. That's it. But they, they don't they don't buy like if you go to, to Germany and go to Mercedes, they buy half the car from from second tier suppliers, and uh, they really only invest in marketing and design. Everything else, technology has been outsourced to pretty much everyone around them. And uh, maybe also to China. Um, but this is not happening with the technology Silicon Valley giants. And I think this is really putting them at an advantage because they, they control this value chain. And right now they're doing the best of it and um, really push forward this monetization of their, their, their page views. I think this is what, really what it is. The personalization and the data that they have about us is, making them um, so rich right now. Exactly. But the, there should be a lot of more business models here now, now that AI is so cheap and basically replaces most a lot of workers and robotics. Um, there should be a ton of new business models that should come up and allow monetization of this new technology. And I think we're just at the precipice of this happening. I think it's going to happen in the next 10 years, but this is kind of catching us at the, at the bad time, this whole COVID thing. Right. And um, yeah, I remember that pizza maker, um, I think in Sunnyvale, I don't know if you've seen that story, who raised like 200 million from SoftBank to uh, uh, put robots in pizza kitchens. Yeah, I did read that story. Yeah, it was on uh, uh, Tech Radar. I think that's where I read it. Yeah, and it uh, it didn't go very well. I mean, yeah, it's obviously going to happen, right? This is right. not this is not even a question of the if; it's just a when. And uh, they probably raised too much money for it, and it was, it was obvious this is going to happen. But um, they didn't make it as a company, so it's a bit like the, the, all the dot coms in two thousand. Um, this definitely happened. It just didn't happen with them as a company driver. So it's now happening on Amazon's watch. 
Right, right. I mean, there, there's there's tons of companies like that. One company that I used to love uh, was Pebble. They actually, uh, and I'm pretty sure of this, Pebble started the first digital uh, watch that connected to your phone. And it was very simple. It yeah. didn't do much. Uh, and they, they brought out the first one, but then uh, things the technology advanced so fast it was a lot faster than them for apple for samsung because they had they were like google's they had the ability to develop something much faster than that small company and uh eventually that company went out of business because they just couldn't compete with the technology um it's tough it's really tough and, I, and but i think that um one we are understanding that we need large businesses and we need small businesses. There, there's different flows and different creativity levels and different things that come out from each of them. So they, they are never all going to be uh, like small businesses, never going to uh, go out of work because of Google. Uh, I, I think in the future, you're going to see Google invest. They do it now, but they're going to be investing more in a lot of small businesses. So I think it's it's a market that's going to start, like you said, it's going to start bal find itself and start balancing itself out. Um, let me ask you this. Um, for those companies right now that that are, are still on that downturn or are they're having difficulties, what advice would you give them? Well, I, I think you have to, and that depends on, are you in the, in the physical economy or in the cloud economy? If you're in the physical economy, you really have to take a hard assessment and find out, will things ever going to come back? And I think a lot of things will come back. I'm not pessimistic about this, but uh, will we see, um, say, you're in downtown San Francisco and you have um, a coffee shop and you just have one, you don't, you're not part of the chain, will that ever come back? That's probably, it takes a long time. I mean, well, you will have to wait a couple of years. So making an honest assessment, and I believed into, you know, 15 days to to spread, the, to uh, slow the spread and the V-shaped economy, I think these ships have sailed for all of us. And you've got to, got to be able to wait for a couple of years and um, maybe not even open the, the, the business for that long. And the question is, are you... Uh, don't you have something else to do in the next two years that um, will give you an opportunity to make way more money in the future? So, and in cloud-based um, environments, I think it's a little easier to make that decision, A, because usually you don't have a lot of downside. There isn't a lot of, besides server costs, there isn't a ton, and your own time, and your employees, um, that you really have, uh, you don't have a lot of outlays in terms of factories, uh, restaurants, rent to pay. I feel you should definitely stick to it. Um, most of these cloud businesses, they might not make money, but as you said earlier, they, they sooner or later find themselves integrated into some other part of the value chain. Uh, maybe it's just a GitHub repository, or maybe it's something that Google buys for 100 million because they were interested in that particular technology. And um, there there's a lot of opportunity there, even if I feel it's sometimes a lot of opportunity to, to busy yourself is not necessarily as much an opportunity to monetize it yet, but that's always the problem with new technology. So if you're in the cloud, it's probably do whatever you can to reduce your downside, reduce your expenses and stick with it. If you're in the physical economy, um, I would have a, a, but maybe that's just the current environment, but I feel it's much harder and, um, what we've been doing with Mighty Travels Premium, we we really focused on uh, giving advice for places that are open, finding that deals um, where Americans actually can travel, 
and surprisingly enough, there's about 60 countries. So we faced um, obviously the same questions there because simply travel in many places isn't isn't possible. It's difficult, for instance, to leave Australia. They're not allowed to to even leave the country uh, without a special permit. That's relatively hard to get. Yeah. And um, but there's new opportunities. There's a lot of those airlines have amazing fares now. Um, we were just. Um, talking earlier about a $400 business class deal um, all the way to South America. That's something that is usually around $2,000, often when fares are high, three to $4,000. So um, there's always obviously new opportunities. Um, seeing the world now sounds like a little risky, but if you under 40, and even if you're like in the 40s like myself, the actual risk is, when you're healthy enough, pretty negligible. And um, it obviously is a risk. Obviously, each person has to make that decision on their own, and uh, it's not an easy decision. But if you do that, uh, friends of mine just went to Venice, and they're basically all by themselves in Venice. So oh. there's, there's no other there's no other tourists. They have the whole city to themselves. Those are amazing experiences, and uh, it's it's an opportunity for you as a personal development. You might not be able to go to most places that were in the original uh, travel guide and they're that are usually crowded but you get to see maybe some monasteries in nepal or in india and it's much harder to get in some of those countries so you need to use your brain and uh, really find out um, how you can you make this work uh, under what circumstances do i have all the papers so it is a different travel than what it used to be when people you know, food business class every other day around the world. That's a little more tricky now. Not that there's no business class, but it's uh, just uh, came back on the trip and Turkish Islands, but it's it's different. For instance, Turkish Islands doesn't serve business class meals anymore, which doesn't sound yeah. that, that much of an issue, but I was pretty disappointed. Um, <laughs> I would be too. <laughs> having an economy class meal on a 13-hour flight wasn't what I was looking forward to because they're really known for their, for their uh, catering product. Right, right. And I, I think that's one of the biggest things that I've saw, uh, I've seen um, throughout this time has been some of the things that you said is finding opportunities. And one of the biggest things that businesses that are uh, your brick and mortar that are physically functioning, uh, have collaborated with their with, with their competitors and when they collaborate with their competitors and other businesses that they work with they have reduced costs they have re reduced their output to allow them to extend uh what from what financial uh, state they're in for a longer period of time and, and and that's has to me that has been one of the greatest solutions that i've seen for a lot of companies that are still functioning physically um towards we we totally didn't talk. I didn't ask you half of the question that I wanted to ask you, but I think the conversation that we have was very vital for everyone to hear, and it was incredibly uh, uh, important, and it was a great input. Um, I want to thank you for your time. How can people find out more about you, and where can they go? Obviously on LinkedIn, um, and. Um my current venture is Mighty Travels. Mighty Travels Premium is the brand name. I also do a podcast. Uh, it's a little shy on episodes, but hopefully that's going to grow. It's called Judgment Call Podcast, and I'm also on YouTube if you type in Mighty Travels Premium. Awesome, awesome. We'll get people out your way to make sure that they listen to your podcast. And thank you so much for your time. Awesome. Thank you. My pleasure.